Thank you for taking time to listen to this Redemption Church sermon. Redemption Church exists to make authentic disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of our world. We want to help everyday people wake up to a deep, meaningful life in Christ. We pray this sermon will help. For more information about Redemption Church and for additional resources, please visit redemptionokc.com. Well, I've got um, an interesting, interesting task ahead of me. This is the last time I will preach to my whole family before my two oldest boys head off to college on new adventures. And so this is kind of a, feels like a big Sunday, a milestone Sunday. I know I'm not the only one in this boat. I know some of you others have taken kids to college this week or are sending them off. And so there's others in this boat as well. But as I thought about this week, you know, it's kind of interesting. We come to this text that we're coming to today. And honestly, I feel like there could not be a better text to look at on a Sunday like this than the text we're going to look at uh, this morning. And, you know, I don't know if, you know, I'd like to claim that I had scripted that and planned it and that 18 years ago when they were born, that there was this grand plan that I was going to land the plane on the perfect text on the last Sunday when they're both together under our roof before they head off to college. Uh, that really wasn't the case. So perhaps the Lord, his hand, Lord's hand was in it, uh, but it did so work out that we're on a text that I can't think of a better one than Matthew 7 verses 24 to 27. So if you got your Bibles, look at Matthew 7, verse 24 to 27. We're gonna read that in just a minute. Uh, but really, it's not just for these two boys or for us, but I want you to know, if you're going back to school and you're a student, man, this text is gonna be good for you. If you are a parent and you're releasing your kids to go back to school and you're dropping them off in carpool line and all those things, this is a good text for you to look at. If you are a single in our world, um, building a life and maybe playing in some of the dating games of life, this is a good text for you. If, you are, uh, if you're getting a little up in age and you're starting to go to as many funerals as you are bingo nights, uh, this is a good text for you to look at and for you to wrestle with. Really, in, in a sense, what Jesus says in these, these short, short verses is the answer to every stage of life. It's the answer to every longing we experience. It's the answer to every temptation that we face. It's the answer to every, every worry that we feel and every goal that we set. This text contains, in a sense, the summary of everything we need to know and points us in a direction of where to turn. And what it's gonna tell us is we all have a choice about the foundation we want to build for our lives and how we choose will determine everything from that point forward. And so let me pray for us as we dive in here. Father, we ask that your spirit would settle in upon us to enlighten our minds, to stir the affections of a heart that we might trust you, Father, for those who don't know you. Would you crack the shell and breathe new life into their hearts? Father, would you, for all of us, just remind us of your love for us, of your desire to create a world where we would flourish and to redeem and restore the broken places in our lives and give us new life that we might build a foundation uh, which stands strong in all the storms of life and stands strong for all eternity. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name and we pray it by your Holy Spirit. Amen. 
Well, let's look at Matthew 7. Let me read. I'm going to start in verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine, this is Jesus speaking at the end of his Sermon on the Mount. Everyone then who hears these words of mine, Jesus says, and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. This is the word of the Lord. As we look at this text, um, it's, it's a fascinating text. There's all kinds of things. Um, what we realize is there's all kinds of things that, that you can build your life upon. And as we start a new year, in a sense, school year, and not a calendar year, but oftentimes for most of us, it feels like the new year starts in August because that begins a whole new cycle of events. And as we begin this year, all of us have plenty of options of things that we can try to build our lives upon. And as we do, um, I, I was driving around, tra driving around town this week and it got me to thinking about this. And as I got stuck in construction, in construction you, know, you, you didn't even learn to avoid the intersection at Bryant and second right now. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. So as I didn't do that and got stuck in that traffic and I pulled up behind something, I saw a truck that looked like this and I began to laugh at this image. Um, so pickup truck with a giant pink flag that said hashtag free Britney. Now, I don't really know what's going on with Britney other than what I see in the headlines that come up my Twitter feed occasionally, but there's apparently a controversy right now with Britney Spears and her father in some kind of a battle over her money or her estate or her earnings or her, her, her catalog or something, and there's a court battle that's going on, and in the middle of Britney Spears' family squabbles, um, some human being in Edmond, Oklahoma decided that this was the cause that they wanted to attach their life to. This was the thing that they wanted to broadcast to the whole world that was most important for, for them to get out to you was hashtag free Britney. Uh, now, <clears throat> again, I don't know a whole lot about this. and I do know enough about family squabbles that I hope she gets it figured out because these things are painful and they're harmful. And I really genuinely hope they can figure out what needs to happen. But <clears throat> here's what I realize is, he or she, the person driving this truck, has chosen to invest his or her life, and I, I really don't know, uh, you know, I don't wanna get into stereotyping, but it's a big black truck, but it's got a hot pink flag on it. So I, I don't know who, who was driving this truck, but whoever it was, um, was deemed this cause worthy of his life, planning his, in his time, that this was something worth me thinking about and organizing my life around. This was worth the investment of some finances. I mean, he had to either build or, purchase a flag, right? I mean, so there was some, there was some investment of, of resources in this. Uh, it took some energy. I mean, you have to be pretty motivated to attach a flag to your pickup. Um, but so this was someone who thought this was something worth doing um, to obstruct the rearview mirror with that um, for, you know, day's end. Um, but also to invest the relational capital in this saying, I'm attaching my life to a cause and I want everyone to know about it. Now, there's all kinds of things we can, we can attach our life to, right? Um, it, it's easy to laugh about this one, but here's the thing. We all attach our lives to all kinds of things. 
we all attach our, our lives to things and we invest our planning and our organization. We invest our, invest our resources. We invest our time and energy. We invest our relational capital in different things. And I think the reason is because there's something in us that wants to be connected to something bigger than, than ourselves that wants to be connected to a cause, to a purpose, to someone that's bigger than us. So, uh, so we run around if, uh, and, you know, and we try to attach ourselves to these things. And many of us, if we don't have a relationship with God, we're running around like a ship without a dock. And we're going from port to port looking for some place to try to connect. And so sometimes we even just connect to a celebrity because it gives us a sense of something bigger than us that we can attach our lives to. Well, let me show you another picture. <clears throat> uh, ran across this on social media as well, and I thought this was kind of funny. This was put out by Billionaire Magazine. Uh, more on that in just a minute. But uh, you notice this is a really sweet Lamborghini down here uh, in front of a really sweet house with some really sweet uh, paint job on the, the middle of that car. Um, and as you think about that, uh, notice who's quoted in the line above. St. Augustine. Now, as a guy who wrote his master's thesis on Augustine, I can tell you how appalling this is. Augustine is either up in heaven laughing really, really hard. One, that he's still being quoted this many years later. Two, that someone's trying to attach his thinking to this, or he's just screaming and yelling and banging his head against the gates of heaven, right? Um, but here's the thing for Augustine. Augustine never would have taught. If you, if you can see it and believe it, then you will receive it, sort of theology. But that's the, that's the sort of idea that you see here is this grand idea of the American dream and the best, the great car and the great house and all the stuff. And, and they've attached this idea to some kind of spiritual belief that if you put Jesus' name on it, you're gonna be able to get something greater and something better and something more wonderful. And so sometimes we even use spiritual sounding things these days to carve out our identities and to carve out our expectations for life and to carve out the things that we desire and that we want and that we pursue. But it's a misuse and abuse of spiritual things to do so. But again, in this, what I see is there's this longing for connecting to something that's bigger than ourselves. Um, and so this idea gets, looks great to Billionaire Magazine. Now, I honestly thought about this. I was like, how many subscribers can Billionaire Magazine have? So I Googled how many billionaires there are in the world. And apparently there's 2,755 billionaires, which is more than I thought there would be. But still, I thought even if they all, 100% of them subscribe to this magazine, I don't know how they even print the thing financially, but I guess you could, you could charge a lot, right? For your subscription. So maybe they get by. But I think it's fascinating that this becomes something that we pursue um, true story, one time I was in Dallas and I had a friend whose dad owned a Lamborghini and he offered to give me a ride. So he showed up and I jumped in this Lamborghini and we took a 20 to 30 minute ride in, in, in the city of Dallas around White Rock Lake, just a slow drive around there. And I realized really quickly why people drive cars like that. The next day at church, I literally walked into church and had three people immediately go, I swear I saw you in a red Lamborghini yesterday. <laughs> And you know, I could drive three hours in the city of Dallas in my 12-year-old Honda with 200,000 miles on it, and no one ever was like, dude, I saw you driving around town yesterday. But you drive a Lamborghini for 20 minutes, everyone's like, man, I saw you. You were in the Lambo, you know? And, uh, and you definitely weren't driving in the city of Dallas for speed, because you can get up to like 35 before you hit traffic and gotta stop again, right? So like, there's no point to driving a Lamborghini in, in a city like Dallas, other than you wanna be seen. But here, why am I saying all this? I think the, the reality for me as I think about all this is that we, we look for all kinds of things to try to build the foundation of our lives. 
that we want to attach our lives to something that we think is substantial. We want to attach our lives to something that's bigger than us. We want to attach our lives to something that we think will last or something that will be important um, in terms of our own, our own existence and our own lives. Now, obviously, these examples are, are somewhat kind of silly, um, silly examples of a faulty foundation, right? I mean, I'm going to guess not a whole lot of you are building your life around a Lamborghini right now. And I, I, I'm going to guess a whole lot of you are not building your life around Brittany right now. Uh, but there's other things that we do. And we, we have other, other faulty foundations that we build our life on. Power, success, hard work. Uh, we build it upon popularity, creativity, sexuality, influence, any number of things that we, can, that we can create and we can pursue and we can run after and try to make these things into a foundation that gives us a sense of being connected to something bigger than me. But those are all faulty foundations that are gonna dissipate like sand in a storm. So we live in a world full of foolish ways to build a life upon sand. In fact, this word foolish way in Jesus, when he's talking about it in, uh, in Matthew 7, uh, it's the word moros, which is, it's the word that is actually the root word for moron. So he's saying, this is a moronic way to live. That if you build your life upon a foundation, that no matter how good it looks on the outside, no matter externally how nice that house is, if it's built on a faulty foundation, it's a moronic way to try to build your life. It's a foolish way to build your life. And that's really the, the point of what Jesus is driving at here. Let me show you something a little more substantial. Uh, one, a friend of mine, Joel Lawrence, who uh, is another kind of a pastor theologian in another organization, but we were in seminary together. His dad actually taught at the seminary, so there's a lot of this confusion. We got this question all the time, like, hey, I met your brother. I was like, he's not my brother, so I'm no relation, but Joel's a really good guy. He was writing recently, he said this, and I thought this was really insightful. We are living in a time of deep societal anguish. I believe that this anguish expresses the soul's recognition that so much of the modern world is hostile towards human habitation. So the world we've created for ourselves is actually antagonistic towards our ability to thrive and live and flourish here. He says, we've lost the sense of facility in the realm of experience. We don't fit in the world we have created. This anguish is the soul's realization that the world we have made through our own industry and our own ingenuity is actually antagonistic towards us. The anguish arises out of a clash between the soul and the story we have told about the human capacity to fashion a world for ourselves. So there's a clash between this desire, the soul, this hunger that's inside of us the, the, the actual soul of, of each human being, there's a clash going on between the world we've created that actually doesn't create a good home for the world, uh, for, for our own lives. He goes on to say, we create technology to make the world more hospitable, but too often find it isolates and dehumanizes. We turn entertainment to provide us leisure, but we find it creates deeper restlessness. We trust in politics to remake our world and then find that politics does, not, does just that, but it remakes it for its own sake and its own ends. The anguish of our age is the soul's expression of living in a world of our own creation that's inhospitable to a soul. And it is also the expression of our inability to overcome this homelessness through our own efforts. Uh, so a lot to process there. But what he's saying is, what Jesus said. We keep trying to build a life on a faulty foundation 
and when the storms come and, and whenever the hard times come, when the trials come and when judgment comes our way, we, it dissipates and it, it withers in the storm and it does not hold us up and give us a strong, firm foundation to build a life on. Now, I know this may sound overstated, but as I've processed this this week, I think this is the reason our world's so angry. I think this is, is because we're in anguish about the things that we've created. We've been sold a lie. And the story we've told ourselves that if you build a life this way, you're gonna have a strong, healthy, happy life. And then we step out on that foundation and it crumbles under our feet. And so we're angry. Or on the other hand, we're despairing. It's why, uh, it's, it's, it's why depression and self-harm are at an all-time high. Because we, we go, well, I, I, bought the, I bought the story you sold me and it didn't lead me to any place of strength. And so as it crumbles in our sense, I think it's one of the reasons why we see a recession in politics. If we just get the right people in the right place, then we can get this fixed. I think it's why we see an explosion of confusion over sexuality and gender. If I just find a way to express the one thing in me, it'll give me meaning and fulfillment. I think it's a reason for the constant barrage of messages about body image. Um, oddly, I think it's even a, a, an explanation in some sense for the explosion of tattoos in our world. Um, because we're trying, to, we're, we're trying to identify ourselves with something that expresses something that connects in a bigger, at a bigger level. And, and there's nothing wrong with that on, on one level, but I think there's something in our, in our culture, in our, in our society, in our world right now that's just clamoring and running around like a ship that doesn't have a place to dock that's trying to find some place to attach ourselves to. I think it's one of the reasons why we have a sense of attachment to celebrities, to celebrity preachers, to, to big movements, because we're hoping to grab hold of something bigger than ourselves. And what I wanna say is, friends, that's a foundation that can't hold your house up when things get hard. All of those are gonna crumble and they're all going to fall. Um, Joel goes on to write, out of love for the world, the church is called to proclaim that we cannot fashion a world for ourselves, that we are not the lords of the earth. We are commissioned as the church to be a Sabbath people who offer the anguished age of hospitality, of dwelling, uh, uh, of dwelling with the Lord, the only true home of the soul. So in a world where people are building houses on sand that's gonna dissipate and fall, we are called to proclaim a different way and say, no, let me show you where the rock is and you can come be in my neighborhood. And you can build your house on the rock that I built mine on, the house that stands strong, the house that doesn't fall. And so we want to come and invite them in. And so as we think about this, here's what I, here's what I want, to, want to point out today. Jesus is really saying to us that when we build our house on a foolish foundation, it's not going to last. But there's a better foundation that we can build our house and our, our lives upon. And at the most general level, whenever Jesus, whenever we've kind of gone through Matthew uh, five, six, and seven, looked at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is inviting us into a way of life that's going to cause us to flourish and thrive in the short term and in the long term. Uh, not not without hardship, not without trial, not without difficulty. But over the long haul, he's gonna help us to flourish and he's inviting us into a wholehearted, Christ-centered kingdom, prioritizing hopeful wisdom for life. And so that's really what we're gonna look at today is the decision we have to make between how it is that we're going to live. Um, and really, Jesus is very repetitive here. In fact, in this text, he, he repeats the same thing multiple times and twists and changes a couple words. And what he's gonna show us is that there's really only, there's only two ways that you can live. You can live the Jesus way or you can do anything else. 
Those are the only two options. You can live in the way of Jesus or you can try something else. And he says, if you try the way of Jesus, it's a rock that you can build your house on. Everything else is gonna crumble. And so that's really where, where we're gonna go and what we're gonna look at today. So let's examine this image of building a house upon the rock or upon the sand a little bit more uh, closely. And I wanna make four, four observations today of how to build a life. Um, and as we do, I just wanna, um, as we're gonna walk through these four observations, uh, some of this is gonna come from a guy named Jonathan Pennington who wrote a commentary, it was really helpful for me. Uh, but just, he was helpful for me as I was thinking through how to organize this. And so um, as we dive in, here's what we're gonna see. Jesus begins by saying, everyone then who hears these words of mine. Now we've taken 20 weeks to, to preach through these words of mine, right? I mean, these words of mine are speaking to the whole Sermon on the Mount, uh, not just that, but they're also connected to, uh, to, to really everything Jesus taught and to his way of life and the way he's instructed them. Uh, later, Jesus is gonna give uh, us a commission, uh, the great commission. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything which I've commanded you. So he goes to this idea of his words and what it is that he's saying we should build our life on now. We've had 20 weeks to hear these words of Jesus, 20 weeks to soak in them, 20 weeks to process them, 20 weeks to think, think about them. And it's here Jesus says, everyone then who hears these words of mine. Friends, let me ask you, have you heard his words? Yeah, you've heard them, right? I mean, you've, you've heard them, but he goes on and says, everyone who hears, he didn't stop, he didn't stop there. He goes on and he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and what? And does them. Oh, that just stepped it up, didn't it? Because, because we've heard them means one thing. Everyone who hears them and does them starts to press in on us just a little bit more. And so Jesus is saying that everyday practical wisdom for day-to-day -day life in the, in the normal grind of life is going to determine everything in the outcome of your life. And he puts these two ways out for us. It says that every, there, there's two different groups. Everyone who hears them and does them or everyone who hears them and does not do them. One is wise, one is foolish. And so he's gonna make it very clear and create this kind of sense of building and expectation as he comes to the end of his sermon. There's this focal point where we're all forced to kind of look in the mirror and go, well, which one am I on? Which foundation am I building on? Am I firmly placed on the rock or am I wishy-washy over here on the sand? And he's meaning to ask that question. So let's look at observation number one for how to build a life. The first is the foundation makes all the difference. So Jesus uses this image of the foundation and the difference between the house that stands and the house that falls is really something you can't see, right? When you think about a foundation, it's under the ground. I remember when we were building a house, I went to our builder and I said, look, you can mess some stuff up on here, but don't mess that one up. And we were actually building when all the, little, the earthquakes were going on in the middle of Oklahoma. And, uh, and so at that time I was like, are you sure? You know, I kept asking questions. I was driving him crazy. I'd come back around, I was like, what, like, what level earthquake? Like, how good are we? Like, how deep does this thing go? How, you know, tell me about everything you're doing. And it was just, and I said, look, you, I know builders cut costs. I just know how the world works. But just promise me you're not gonna cut costs on this place because the foundation, I know I can't see it. So you might be tempted to cut costs there. You might be tempted to take a shortcut but I know that's gonna determine whether the house stands or falls. And that's what Jesus is saying, that oh, the whole thing depends upon the foundation. So what do we know about these two houses? Yeah, if you look at the verses, what do we know about the two houses? Which one was nicer? Which one was bigger? Which one was flashier? Which one had more big screens? Which one had more, like we don't know, do we? Like we don't know anything about the house. Jesus says, look, there's just two houses. Now, if by implication, when I think back to like what else Jesus said in Matthew 
5, 6, and 7. Uh, he talks about some of the religious leaders and how they were really showy about their fasting and their giving and their praying, and they were kind of religious show-offs. So it makes me think that maybe the foolish house was even more ostentatious and more gaudy and bigger in some ways. But we don't really know. Jesus doesn't say, he says, it, that doesn't really make a difference. What makes a difference is the hidden unseen thing. What makes a difference is the foundation, the, the thing that's on the, on the inside. And really, this is not different from everything else Jesus has been saying throughout the Sermon on the Mount, right? He says, look, it's not just external practices of righteousness. It's about whole life, a whole heart, a devotion that goes to him that your inside matches the outside and there's no hypocrisy because your whole life belongs to him. And so what's on the inside ultimately bubbles out to the outside. And so it's the heart that drives the whole thing. And so that really is what Jesus is reinforcing that, that entire idea of it's not just the external package, but it's the internal makeup of, of a person in their heart that really drives who we are as a person. And so when we build our house, um, it's important for us to think about the foundation. It's the first point that Jesus is making. Second observation, how, what we do reveals what we really think. That's what Jesus says. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is wise. Everyone who does not do them is foolish. And so the goal here is not just to hear the words of Jesus, not just to process the words of Jesus, not just to categorize the words of Jesus, but to actually live the words of Jesus. Uh, James, is similar to what James says a little bit later in the New Testament, in James 1, he says, but be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. I mean, we've got the ability to pull, kind of put the wool over our own eyes and not see who we really are. And so we think because we've heard the words of Jesus that we belong, uh, that we're building upon a foundation of Jesus. He says, no, it's the one who hears them and does them that actually is seeing the life change that God is intending to bring and is gonna flourish. And so verse 24, when he says, and does them, it's interesting, we, we don't see this very well in our, in, in our English Bibles, but, but in the original languages, there's, that word is actually used eight times in verses 15 to 27. So it's, if you're reading this in Greek, it's just repeated over and over and over and over and over. And, and yet in our language, it's translated in different ways. And so it'll sometimes say, those who practice these, those who do these things, those who create these things. Um, and so you'll see different, those who bear much fruit, those who produce, uh, these are all the same term in this. And he's really just hammering home this idea. It's the same idea in the, uh, in the golden rule where he says, um, do unto others as you have them do unto you. That's the same term that's being used here. And he says, so he who hears my word and does them is the one that changes uh, or the one that's building on a firm foundation. So this doing thing is, is, is really important. And uh, what we're gonna see is that the doing is not just that we're to be about all kinds of activity, it's not about being busy. It's not about being religious. It's not about working harder. It's not about simply pulling yourself up out of the bootstraps and earning your way and earning your stripes and doing all the stuff. But it really, this doing has a very specific focus. And that brings us to the third observation I wanna point out uh, from this text is the strong foundation is Jesus-centered. So the foundation that we need to build is really built upon Christ. Jesus says, everyone hears what? These words of mine. Uh, there's an exclusivity to this. There's a singular focus to this. Jesus is saying, it's not like anyone else's words, but it's these right words of mine. It's not just certain philosophical or theological concepts. It's not just coming from a certain heritage. It's not just coming from a certain background, a worldview or understanding, but it's hearing the words of Jesus that is important here and the thing that makes all the difference. And, uh, and so when you think about this passage, this is what uh, really makes, uh, really dry, or drives at the heart of where the rub comes for the religious leaders and the Jews of that day is that Jesus was saying something that would have been very offensive to them. 
In fact, none of the scribes, later when uh, you get to the, the verses a little bit later, it says that Jesus was teaching with authority, not as any of their scribes would do. What they're saying was they had alarm bells going off in the back of their head going, whoa, he's, he's, stepping, he's stepping across the line here. And so either they would expect to be mocked if they taught like Jesus did, or they would, taught, they would expect to be stoned as a heretic if they taught like Jesus did. But Jesus says these things. He says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And he says these things like, anyone who hears and obeys these words of mine are going to be this way. Later he's gonna say, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except by me. There's an exclusivity to what he says that says it's not just you being a wise person, but your wisdom is ultimately and trust is the fear of the Lord. And it's trusting what Jesus himself has to say. And so you can be certain that these people understood what Jesus was saying uh, because they later killed him for it. Because they very much understood that he was putting himself as a divine authority, as one who was speaking for God, not just for God, but as God. He was speaking with a divine authority. And so that becomes very important. And so Jesus says these words are really the, the true and final source of revelation that is the key to human flourishing and what we're to understand. So obviously Jesus believes this to be true, but let's look at um, one last observation. Um, whether or not we acknowledge it, we have a sense of urgency. Um, Jesus says all these things that he who hears my words and does them um, will build a life that stands or falls but in both passages, for the wise builder and the foolish builder, he says that the rains will come. Uh, and um, he, he's gonna point us to the storms that are coming. And in the words of great poet, theologian, theologian uh, Bob Dylan, you know, hard rains are gonna fall, right? Like it, he says, this is gonna happen someday. And in some ways that probably points to just the trials and storms of life, the difficulties, the challenges that we all have. It probably ultimately takes up some imagery from the Old Testament that talks about judgment, that God's judgment, his wrath will come and it'll be poured down. And so someday we're all gonna face both trials and challenges of life. We're all gonna also face judgment. And in that day, hard rains are gonna fall and we're gonna, what we are and the foundation we've built upon will begin, will show. And that was true of both houses. One, it says that, they, that the, store, the winds blew and beat on that house and it stood. The other one, it did not fall. The other one, it says it fell and great was the fall of it. And so when you think about these two houses, what you have to realize is the consequences are big and we all have a choice to make, what we're gonna build upon, what we're gonna trust, what we're gonna lean on. And there's no middle ground, no neutral party, no third path, uh, no hidden route, but ultimately we come to a place of choice and you have to decide which foundation you're gonna build upon. And that's, the, that's where Jesus' whole point is driven. Now, as we come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, I wanna address one point of tension that you may be feeling. Because as you study the Sermon on the Mount, as I read about it, but also as I interact with some of you, there's sometimes this question that goes, okay, so help me understand, how does this connect with the grace of God? Because it seems like what Jesus is saying is, if if I hear his words and if I do his words, then I'm gonna be okay when the storms come, right? Is that what, is that, what, does that sound right to you based on what you're seeing? I mean, that's what Jesus says very clearly here, right? And so then we as Christians, but how does that connect with the grace of God? Uh, because I thought I was saved by grace. And so we begin to real, realize this and we begin <clears throat> to maybe, you may be wrestling with that. Is it saying that we have to save ourselves? Well, that can't be the case because we see from the rest of scripture that none of us is able to save ourselves. Romans 3.23, all of sin have fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Hebrews 9.27, 9, 
It's destined for man to die once and after that to face judgment. So if we've all sinned, the, way, the payment for sin is death and after death we all face judgment, then uh, if you're like me, you're like, I'm in trouble if that's all I've got, right? But that's why the Bible, why Christ, uh, grace is such an important thing to the Christian faith. No, not, no matter how well we've built, none of us have built as well as Jesus. He's the only one that built perfectly. So Ephesians 2 um, says, for regret by grace, you have been saved through faith, through faith in Jesus and his work. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not as a result of work so that no man but boast. So which is it? Um, Ephesians says, you're saved by grace, not of your own doing. But Jesus in Matthew 7 says, he who hears my word and does them will be okay. So which is it? You know what the answer is? Both. We have to hold, have both of these things together. Oh, I love what Paul Tripp says. His grace is God providing for us in his son what we could not provide for ourselves. And we were not able to do, to build a perfect foundation, but Jesus did. Jesus came to show us how to thrive and flourish in God's world because we couldn't figure it out on our own and because we would not live well on our own. And so he offers us forgiveness for the broken building we've done. He offers us a new life to build on a better foundation. And so grace is not an excuse to build a poor life. It, like the answer for Christianity is not to go, well, I've got grace, so I'm gonna continue to build on all the junk that I built on before and pretend like it doesn't matter. Because what we see is that doesn't lead to life and that reveals that your trust is not really in the rock of Jesus. Your trust is still in the things of sand. And so we're not gonna use grace as an excuse to continue to build on the junk of this world that doesn't fulfill and that doesn't provide us a solid, solid foundation. What Jesus is saying is that God loves you and he wants for you to flourish, but you won't get there by building on your own. And so for those of us that have trusted Jesus, that trust his grace, that understand his, the love that he had for us and the sacrifice that he gave for us upon the cross, then we're willingly say, well, I, why would I build on anything other than him? And so we begin to build on him, but grace is more than a do-over as well. Sometimes we approach grace and go, well, I guess it's a do-over so I can do better. And that's not what grace is. Grace is a death of your old life and a new life that's given. And in that new life, you have a new foundation and his name is Jesus. And upon that foundation of Jesus, you learn to build and you learn to, to thrive and you learn to flourish. And that really is what we're called to do. So let me end with this. Um, you look at your Bible. What we see is that God is the creator and sustainer of all things that he created our world, that he breathed life into us, that he keeps us from spinning off the planet by gravity and, and other mechanisms. And at the first of the Bible, there's two chapters where you see the, the world as God intended it, where everything flourishes and there's no more sin. Chapter three, we sin and we begin to struggle. And at that point, we have a choice. Which foundation are we gonna build upon? Are we gonna build on the truth of God or are we gonna build on something else? The whole rest of the Bible is a continual battle on that front. You get to the very end, there's two chapters where God creates a new heavens and a new earth, where we get to run around and play and work and thrive and live and eat and do all the things we wanna do. And there's two chapters at the end where we flourish again. And in between is struggle, right? So God intends for us to flourish. We mess this thing up, but he's saving us by his grace through Christ. He's teaching us a new, life, new way to live. And in that, he's gonna come back and he's gonna restore a new world where the flourishing and the joy and the sinless, sinlessness um, that he wants for us will one day be ours. 
and we will run around with him and we'll enjoy it. And there'll be no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more sadness. But in between, in between, we have to choose how to build a life. So friends, let me ask you, what are you building your life upon? Is your life being built upon a rock? Because storms are gonna come and I wanna see you stand. So let's not build upon sand. Friends, if you don't know Jesus, talk to us today, get to know him. We'd love to connect you with him and a relationship with him. Tell you about his grace, the forgiveness that you can have in him and the restoration. Let me pray for us. Father, we pray that you would make us a people who are built strongly upon the rock, who have great confidence in your goodness, in your grace, um, but also in your ways that you wanna cause us to flourish. And we have to trust that your way is better even when in the world's eyes, it looks crazy. Father, would you wean us off the things that are the life built on sand and cause us to stand on truth. Father, in the beauty of your grace, make us strong. Give us a strong foundation, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us for this redemption sermon. For more resources and information about Redemption Church, visit redemptionokc.com and follow us on social media. I'm a